Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. Let's turn to Psalms 121. Psalms 121. And um, I love the book of Psalms. I think most of us, it's probably in our top three, isn't it? Because it's so relatable. So often it expresses uh, maybe pain and joy, pain and the difficulties of life. David wrote so many of them. And did he know something about difficulties? And... um, One of my favorite things about the Psalms is while he often starts out talking about the difficulties he's experienced within 8, 10, 30, however many verses, by the end of that Psalm, he's moved from fear to faith in God, and um, it's a hymn book. It's a hymn book written uh, by God, authored by God, uh, and and I love the book of Psalms. This, uh, This particular one is is uh, one that's very dear to me. I'd say it's my second favorite. My first favorite is Psalm 119, but since this is my first opportunity to speak to you all, I didn't think I should probably choose a chapter that had 176 verses in it. Uh, and so we're going to do, uh, do Psalm 121 here. It's an uh, uh, interesting psalm. As someone who's there already, can you uh, tell me what it says right under the, the title, the number, Psalm 121, what does it say? A song of ascents, a song of degrees. And so what we have here is this is a second of 15 in this category, a psalm of ascents or a psalm of degrees. And um, what they were, and and kind of with what we've been singing today, Megan's song about the Red Sea Road, is this was, these were songs that the Israelites would sing as they were taking pilgrimages up to worship in Jerusalem. We sing Jerusalem too. Uh, and, and that's what they would do. They would sing songs. Have you ever been on a family vacation when you sing songs? And uh, one thing, I, it kind of hit me that this is a little close to this, is we have some Christian music stations that are syndicated right now, like K-Love, and whether you like that or not. One of the interesting things to me as I was thinking is I'm singing this song, and somebody in the Central Time Zone singing this song, somebody in the Mountain Time Zone singing this song, and you know, we're all, I hope we're all joining in a chorus toward heaven. And kind of like what was happening here, people were coming from all over Israel and and maybe even outside of Israel and Babylon and Syria, and they were coming to worship God. Had to do it at least three times a year. Had to do it for the Feast of Passover. Had to do it for the Feast of Pentecost. We know they did that, right? That's when the church started. What we're doing here today started at the Feast of Pentecost when pilgrims came from all over and they heard Peter preach the gospel. And then they also had to do it for the Feast of Booze or Tabernacles, which which would celebrate their exodus by Megan saying about how God brought them through the Red Sea and out of slavery and into, into freedom, into the promised land, like he's done for you and I. All right, and so they would sing these songs, I imagine, coming from all over, and there was 15 of them. We're on the second one. And also, there, there's a historical report that they would sing one of the 15 songs when everybody got there and the priest would ascend into the temple steps. Guess how many steps there were? 15. And so they would sing a song, and then they'd get up here, and they'd sing another song. And it was just a great time of worship, 
Uh, it was community. Can you imagine only being able to go to church three times a year? All right, so right away I'm drawn with application. Then, oh my goodness, I haven't even gotten the text yet, but thank God that we, we have the ability to come to church so much more. And do you value that? Or, you know, are you, I like times like me, you know, guilty of forsaking the assembly of ourselves together, at least in heart, you know, I might show up, but I'm just not all, all in there. And we're blessed to be able to do that here in the church. Uh, but what an what a awesome psalm. Let's read it together. Psalm 121 says, I will lift up my eyes unto the hills. From whence cometh my help? My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee will not slumber. Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. Verse 5, the Lord is thy keeper. The Lord is thy shade upon thy right hand. The sun shall not smite thee by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve thee from all evil. He shall preserve thy soul. The Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. So David here gives us four hills. I'm going to call them, all right, using the metaphor he's using right off the bat in verse 1. Four hills that God provides for us, uh, especially for you and I here in the New Testament church uh, in Jesus Christ. Four hills that David encourages us to look to for help and hope. Jerusalem was set on a series of hills. And that's where they were. Whenever you hear in the Bible, you might read that they went up to Jerusalem. It doesn't matter if they were in the north or the south or east or west. They all went up to Jerusalem because it was a higher elevation. It was set on hills. And he says in verse 1, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills. I couldn't help but think about hills or mountains that we have in this state because I just came back from there with the young at heart trip. It was pretty neat to see. Anytime I'm able to see mountains, I stand in awe a little bit, right? It kind of reminds me of how small I am <laughs> and how big my God is who created those mountains. Uh, I'm from southern Wisconsin, just north of Illinois. We don't have any of those, all right? We're flatlanders. My sister lives in Pleasant Prairie, and that's where I grew up, is a Pleasant Prairie. I remember the first time we went to uh, Colorado to go to a doctor, a hospital out there when I was struggling with some illness and, uh, in Denver, and I saw mountains for the first time, <laughs> and it was amazing. Uh, we didn't go up into them. We just could see them from there, and um, it was just so beautiful. I love going to the mountains here in the fall. I uh, have the opportunity to later this week to celebrate my in-law's 60th anniversary, but whenever I see mountains, that's what they do to me. Uh, I remember at camp, we, uh, Scott Osterin, Scott Bell, myself, and Tammy, and my, my wife, we got to hike up to the top of this mountain. Well, Scott took us to the top of this mountain. <laughs> we got to hike up. But it was, I'm glad he did, because we had this awesome time of worship up there when we could see God for who he is. And there's something about his creation that does that. David says here, I will lift up my eyes to the hills. There's difference in opinion and commentators of what why he's saying this. Some say the hills might have been the source of his problem. When people were traveling to Jerusalem, it, it could be dangerous. And the hills were places where robbers and thieves could, 
could hide away. We, we know the story of the Good Samaritan that happened to him, but I don't think that's the case here. I think most of them agree that uh, here in verse 1, he looks, his eyes look up to the hills, not because they're the source of his problem, but because they're the solution to his problem. So what was on these hills where they were all traveling? It was the city of Jerusalem. And what was that symbolic of? Who was in Jerusalem? Who was in the temple? Who rested in the Holy of Holies? It was God. And so Jerusalem and even these hills here are symbolic of the presence of God. And he says, I will lift up my eyes unto the hills. Now, depending on what version you have, the next phrase might end in a period or end in a question mark, but it is a question because he answers it right after words in verse 2. So he looks, lifts his eyes up to the hills, from whence cometh my help, or where does my help come from? I'm immediately reminded in 2 Kings of when, uh, when Elijah and Gehazi were, they wake up one morning, right, in this house, and uh, Gehazi, Elisha's servant, kind of shakes him, and he says, oh, we got some problems because the king of Syria is out there with his whole entire army, and um, yeah, I don't, we're not going to escape. This is it for us, Elisha. And Elisha prays to God, and he says, open Gehazi's eyes. <laughs> Give him some eyes of faith. And what does Gehazi see? He looks, go back out to the window, and, and he sees an army of angels surrounding the army of Syrians. He's really not too worried. And God, God strikes the Syrian army with blindness. Help us, Lord, to have Gehazi vision, right? Help us to look to the hills and to your presence. This is where our help comes from. And, and my question for you is, if Jerusalem is symbolic of God's presence and they're all going there to worship him and that's where he is looking to help, do you look to the place where God's presence is now for help? All right. And, and part of that is right here on Sunday morning and, and Wednesday night. And not just right here, but we, we are the church and that's where our help comes from, where God's presence, it's in every one of us, but when there is a, a corporate community, God's presence is there as well. And it's a blessing we shouldn't forsake. Where does my help come from? So we have the hill of God's providence here. And we're supposed to look there. David looks there. He says, my help cometh from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Where does my help come? It comes from, from God. All right, And not just God, but he gets specific in his description of God here. Could he use many different descriptions of God? But what does he say? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. The creator, the one who formed you. The one who loves you. The one who created everything, even these mountains we were talking about earlier. Where does our help come from? It comes from the creator. Now you and I know that to be Jesus Christ. All right, John 1 says, all things were made by him, Jesus Christ, and not anything was made without him. In Colossians 1, it tells us that he created all things, and in him all things hold together, they consist. I mean, he's the one that's holding, he's the one that's going to give you the breath, you're going to take in right there, that breath, and that heartbeat. He's, he did it, Jesus Christ is the one who created you. He is the one who sustains you. And so our help comes. Where does it come from? My help comes from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. And for you and I, that, that's Jesus Christ. Right? God the Son, Jesus Christ. We get that answer in verse 2. And so the creator and sustainer, he is our help. And he is the place we are to place our hope. We're to fix our eyes on these hills and, and, and gaze upon the, the presence he provides. And we'll get in that to, in a second here in the next 
couple of verses, but the first thing is that God provides, we have the hill of God's providence. Now, here's three things he provides. The rest of the, the, rest of the hymn here is going to be the three things that he provides. In verse 3, it says, He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee will not slumber. All right, and so the, the first of three things that God provides for us in Jesus Christ is, is another hill. It's the hill of his presence. All right, we've already highlighted God's presence in verse 1 and 2. That's what Jerusalem was symbolic of. That's why they were all going there to corporately worship him, just as we do here when we meet together. But we have the hill of God's presence in verses 3 and 4. It says, you will not suffer your foot to be moved. It's a promise of stability. When you were a pilgrim, they were walking. Most of them were walking all right, when they were going to worship. In Israel, um, it's got a rough, rocky terrain. It's dangerous to travel. And he says, I, I'm not going to suffer your foot to be moved. I'm going to provide you stability. If you have faith in me, if you will look to me, if you will worship me by believing in me, when you need help, all times, but especially when you need help, if you will lift your eyes up and trust me, I will not suffer your foot to be moved. It says, he that keepeth you won't slumber. It says in verse 4, behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. We'll use two words there. One is talking about a nap. Anybody going to get a nap today? Maybe a little bit. That's a nice Sunday afternoon thing to do. <laughs> he doesn't nap. There's not a moment, not a second, when God's presence is not with his children. Right? If, if you have a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ, his presence is with you 24-7. Not a second. Are you without that? He does not sleep. He does not slumber. In Isaiah 30, 21 on our journey, all right, on our pilgrimage from, from here to our promised land. But in Isaiah 30, 21, it says, And your ears shall hear a word behind you, saying, This is the way. Walk in it. When you turn to the right hand, and when you turn to the left. Isn't that what God does for us? Presence all the time. That presence is there to guide us. That's what he offers us in Jesus Christ. He who keeps you will not slumber. He will not sleep. Now, for you and I, this is very real for us. At this time, David's looking forward in faith to a promised Messiah. He's saved the same way we are, by faith in Jesus Christ. Didn't know Jesus Christ yet, knew that he had a Messiah coming, and their faith was in him. We look back for a Messiah who came and who's coming again. But this is what we have in Jesus. John 14. Let's turn to John 14, 16 to 18. We'll come right back here, so keep a bulletin in there or something. But John 14, 16 and 18. How do you have God's presence with you at all times? John 14. We'll read verses 16 to 18 and verse 23. And then we'll be right back in Psalm 121. All right, John 14, 16. Jesus tells his disciples here, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But you know him, for he dwelleth with you, and he shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Isn't that what God promises us? And you and I, as New Testament church, 
people who have a relationship with God through faith and the personal work of Jesus Christ, we have his Holy Spirit living in us 24-7, never without his presence. In verse, uh, verse 23, the same chapter, it says, Jesus answered and said to him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. We don't have to go any longer up to Jerusalem three times a year. We'll be there one day, right, all of us. We don't have to, we don't have to go there anymore. The Holy Spirit is, is not located just there. Where is he? In the heart, in the heart of every believer. He's everywhere, but in the heart of every believer, we have the Holy Spirit, and that was given to us through faith in Jesus Christ. Back to Psalm 121. So we have the hill of God's providence, and, and God provides this for us. The first thing he provides is the hill of his presence. But now in verses 5 and 6, you have the hill of God's protection. Verses 5 and 6, the hill of God's protection. So verse 5 says, The Lord is thy keeper. The Lord is thy shade upon thy right hand. The sun shall not smite thee by day, nor the moon by night. And so the second of three things that God provides for us in Jesus Christ is that he is our keeper. We've already been told that in verses 3 and 4 when it was talking about his presence, that he was our keeper and he doesn't sleep, nor does he slumber. But verse 5 says, the Lord is thy keeper. He is your shade at your right hand. Now, if you were a pilgrim walking in the desert, wouldn't you like to have some shade? You would. The sun is, is a, a difficult thing. I don't know if any of you have been in the Middle East before. I think some of you probably have because of your military background. The sun is, the sun is dangerous out there. And God provided shade for Israel, didn't he? When, he came, when they came in the Exodus through the Red Sea, there was a pillar of a cloud. It was his presence that was there. Through the day, there was a cloud that, that provided them shade, but also an awareness that God was with them and God was leading them. And he says here, the Lord is thy keeper, the Lord is thy shade upon thy right hand. One of the older commentators, Matthew Henry, uh, he said the right hand is a working hand. Like, why didn't, why didn't God just say here through David that he's, he's right with you? God's always with you. He's very specific. He's at your right hand. And for most of us, sorry, any lefties, the right hand is the working hand. And, and, and from that, I'm just... When we go through difficult times in life, we might trust him. We might believe that he's always good. But we might stop working. You know, we, we might... The sermon is, is as much for me, why it's dear to me, is as much testimony as, as it is just a message. You know, and, and some of you know mine. Miss Barbara asked me if I would share it this morning, so I'm going to do it very briefly. But, um, you know... I was born with, with an autoimmune disease, and, and I had another one come, and uh, I've had some health struggles in life, some health struggles, and, uh, but God's been good all the time. And so what I'm proposing to you here this morning is, uh, please know it's about 20 years of spiritual growth and uh, leaning on God's word. And, and if God can use me to shorten the learning curve for you and anything you're going through, that's, that's my desire, and that's my hope, and uh, that's been my prayer the last couple of weeks as, as I've uh, meditated on this section. But he says, the Lord is your keeper, the Lord is thy shade upon thy right hand. There was a time when, thank God, I had a godly Sunday school teacher when I was going through the most difficult time. I'd just been diagnosed, didn't know if it was a terminal disease or not. And he said, Jason, you need to study the sovereignty of God. 
That sounded like a wise idea, so I did. I poured into God's sovereignty. And it was a help and it was a comfort to me, but there was a time when it became, okay, God, I know you're sovereign. Thanks so much for giving this to me. I'm glad you think I can handle it. It was, it was resignation, that you're in charge, and he is in charge. He's the sovereign of the universe. But my attitude wasn't one of, of thankfulness for it, for sure. I don't even know how much trust was there. It was just acknowledgement that, yeah, you're in control of this. And there wasn't a lot of power in that. There was definitely no power in a testimony in that, that I could use this for his glory. And so that's why this verse in verse 5 is very important to me. When he says, the Lord is thy keeper, the Lord is thy shade at thy right hand. It's, listen, if you're going through something, please trust in God. Know that he, he put this in your life. Know that he still loves you even though it's in your life. That he's still good. He has a purpose in it. It's for his glory and for your good, even though it, it may be hard to see that right here and right now. But please, whatever you do, don't stop doing what he's called you to do. Because that is why he has given it to you. So it can be a wit you can be a witness by using it. The Lord is thy keeper. The Lord is thy shade upon thy right hand. It says, The sun shall not smite thee by day, nor the moon by night. It is very hot in the desert. And that is a dangerous threat. But you know what else it is in the desert at nighttime? It's very cold. <laughs> you know, there were times, I do remember it, uh, stop trying to be over dramatic. You're just tired. You've been working all day. And I would, it'd be 4 a.m. And I'm freezing to death. And all my buddies are over there in a pile trying to stay warm. They're like, come on. I'm like, yeah, no, I'm just not really doing that. <laughs> I'm like, God, you gave me this tree. I'm going to sit here in this tree. If I wake up in two hours when, when Bob, the big old ball of sun, comes out, great. If I don't, just that cold. Very, very cold at nighttime. And he says here, look, I will keep you. I am your keeper. I will protect you. The Lord is your shade upon your right hand. The sun shall not smite thee by day, the moon by night. He gives us two opposites trying to represent totality. There is nothing that God cannot protect you from. I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what you have faced in the past. I don't know what you're going to face next week, next month, 10 years from now. But there is nothing that God cannot protect you from. And that should give you peace, and that should cause you to worship him. Because this is the hill of God's protection. He wants us to be mindful of it, right? He's, he's our protection. Jesus Christ is. We have salvation from the penalty of sins. There can be no greater protection than that. But we also have salvation from the power of sin over our life. If you have a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ, you, you, are, you need to reckon yourself dead to sin, because that's what you are. We have the hill of God's presence. We have the hill of God's protection. And I hope, I pray that you are aware and you're thankful for these hills. And finally, we have the hill of God's preservation in verses 7 and 8. It says, The Lord shall preserve thee from all evil. He shall preserve thy soul. I've got to park on this for a minute. Because we say we believe God's word, right? Do we believe God's word? Amen. We say we believe God's word, and he just said here that the Lord will preserve you or keep you, depending on your translation, from all evil. Now, if you're like me, when you hear about the extent of his keeping here, you might struggle with it a little bit. Because have you experienced things in your life that sure seem evil? Do you have a loved one that's experienced something in your life and it sure seems evil? then how can we believe God's promise here? How can we believe it? He says, 
that the Lord shall preserve thee from all evil. He shall preserve thy soul. I mean, is this your experience? And you've already committed to me that you believe that God's word is true. And it seemed, but it seems like that there, there are times in your life when evil is present. So what? How can this be? Right? And when we look at the Hebrew word for evil here, it means harm. I'm not saying this is an incorrect word. I think it means the same thing. But really what we could read here is the Lord will keep you from all harm. And so what I want to ask you, is it possible that anything that you have experienced in life that sure seemed evil, and it might have been, and anything you are experiencing right now, and anything that you will experience tomorrow or next week or next year, is it possible that there might have been an intent for evil, but that was not God's intent for it in your life? Is that possible? And if that's the case, then is God's word here true? And I would propose that yes, it is. One of my favorite verses in the Bible, and I'm sure there's probably some others here that, that also have this as their favorite verse, is Romans 8, 28. Right? And it says that all things work together for good for those who love God. To them we're called according to his purpose. Right? All things work together for good. And that is a wonderful verse. I call it a Lifeway verse, because when you go to Lifeway, it's on like coffee mugs and plaques, and it's on everything, right? But it's there because it's an incredible verse that you and I should rely on. But here we have the Romans 8.28 of the Old Testament. We have the Romans 8.28 of the book of Psalms. In this song, we have the Romans 8.28 that says, yes, everything is working together for your good. That for those who love God, this is truth. That this is a promise. You know, one of the things I love, I love Romans 8, 28, but I've actually come to love Romans 8, 32 more. Because while that's a great verse, and it is, and I don't want to try to convert anybody to Romans 8, 32, <laughs> all right? But the only power that is behind Romans 8, 28, that all things are working together for good for those who love God, is because of Romans 8, 32. It's actually like the foundation of that promise. Because in Romans 8, 32, Paul tells the same people, he says, if you doubt that, listen to this. He who did not spare his own son, how will he not also give you freely all things? There are times when it's difficult to believe that something that we're experiencing in life is not evil, because it sure seems that way. And when we doubt, we need to rely on promises like Psalm 121.7 and Romans 8.28. And even when those are not quite enough to convince us, we can rely on Romans 8.32, which says, if you doubt my goodness to you, don't forget the cross. I didn't even spare my own son for you. Don't you know I want good for you? Can I show it in any grander way? God is asking us. Never forget that in difficult circumstances in life, and I don't care what it is, it might be scleroderma or Crohn's disease, it might be cancer, it might be the loss of a loved one, it might be a child who is not living for the Lord, it might be relationship problems, it might be career or financial problems, but when we experience difficult circumstances, that is one event, whatever it is, but there are two different designs there. God has one design. He's allowing it in your life because he wants to build your faith. It's for the construction of your faith. Now, Satan has a very different design in that same exact event. We learn this from the book of Job and so many other times. Does Satan want to build your faith? He wants to destroy your faith. It's for the destruction of your faith. Two different designs. Same exact event. 
And the goal in us believing this and meditating on verse 7 for a second here is to put power back, because this is a promise of God that the sun shall not smite thee by day nor the moon by night, and he will keep you or preserve you from all evil. Does that mean you won't have pain? That's not what that verse said. Not once did it say you won't have pain. Does it mean you won't suffer? That's not what that verse said, and God never promises that. In fact, he says, if you follow Jesus Christ, expect suffering. In this world, you'll have many tribulations, but don't fear. I have overcome the world. Never does he say that, but he says he will keep you from all evil. The person who loves God, the person who has faith in him is kept from this. So who wins? There was two different designs, and when you have faith in God, who wins? The construction of your faith wins. God wins. He gets the glory, and you get the good. And verse 7 is a very happy verse. It's a very hopeful verse. It's a very helpful verse. In verse 8, even if the worst thing we could imagine happens, and our life here is cut short, for those who have faith in Christ, where do we go? In heaven. And verse 8 says, the Lord will preserve your going out and your coming in from this time forth even forevermore. He will preserve your soul. Even in our worst estimation, not God's, but in our worst estimation, if our life here is done, we go to eternal life with him. And isn't that what God has also provided for you and I in Jesus Christ? Four hills, all right? the hill of his providence, and then he provides these three hills, the hill of his presence and the hill of his protection and the hill uh, of his preservation of you and I. And so my question for you is, do you value these? Are you aware of them? Are you thankful for them? And, and look, I'm giving you personal testimony. It was not always that way with me. And even now, there are mornings when I wake up and um, pain and suffering are louder speakers than Psalm 121. But what I need to do is reread this. Reread this second favorite psalm of mine. What power and grace are available to us on our, our pilgrimage, just like they were going through when we worship God for all that he is for us in Jesus in these four hills? And, and look, I promise you this, God's word teaches that nothing has ever happened to you and nothing is happening to you right now and nothing will ever happen to you apart from the power and the providence and the protection and the preservation of God. And if you know that and you believe it's true, what confidence and what faith you can have that he gets the glory and we get the good. How would your day be different if you really believe this? If you woke up in the morning, albeit with pain and suffering, physical or emotional or spiritual, but you believe this, if you believe the words of this song. I, I, my question is, have you fixed your eyes on these hills? And there's times I do and there's times I don't, and I challenge you and myself to fix our eyes on these like verse 1 says, to look to these hills and to gaze upon them. Because when we do, our faith is reinforced and God is glorified. Now, there might be one here today who is like, I really don't know what you're talking about because I've never experienced this on any level. And, and if that is true, I ask you today to trust Jesus Christ as Savior, whether in a couple of minutes you come down to the altar and you pray to receive Christ and you, you trust in, in what he did for you on the cross, that is really what we're talking about here. All these promises are only true for you and I because of Jesus Christ and our faith in him. 
And if that's your case, I'd ask you to come and to confess your sins to him and confess your faith and your trust in what he did for you on the cross. But Christian, my question for you is what are you holding on to? And what is he asking you to let go? And it might be years of pain and suffering and hurt that sure seemed evil. But my question is, is he asking you today to reconsider whether or not that's what it was, and who's going to win? Will it be the destruction of your faith because Satan designs win? Satan design wins, and you're holding on to bitterness, and you're holding on to, and your focus is on the suffering, and you're viewing your circumstances, not in light of God. That's really what this psalm is about. Will I view my God in light of difficult circumstances that are very real and very painful, or will I view those very real and very painful circumstances in light of a good and gracious and omnipotent and powerful and sovereign and loving God? Which one will you choose? That's my question. This is what's being presented to us today here. What painful circumstance, what trial has you doubting these promises that he's given to us here in, verse, in chapter 121? This is the thing. It's so crazy for me. I have to remind myself of this all the time. I'm like, Jason, you have trusted him with your eternal. The then and there. Don't you think he can handle the temporal? The then, the here and now? Don't you think he can handle that? Don't you think his goodness applies also to that? So in, in a minute, we're going to have an invitation. I'm going to sing My Faith Has Found a Resting Place. And I hope that as a song you can sing as a prayer to him and as a testimony to those around you. And I ask you to do business with God. He might be moving you to come and pray. And if that's the case, please do it. There's nothing magical about it. There's something pretty reinforcing about it. But my my biggest concern is that you bow to the truth and in faith of his promises. Whether that happens here, whether it happens here. And I hope it happens Monday. And I hope it happens Tuesday. And I hope it happens Wednesday. And on and on and on. Don't let Satan destroy your faith. Don't let him steal God's glory. Won't you believe in God's goodness? Don't waste the pain that God has allowed into your life with the design to build your faith. Use it. Use it to build your faith for for his glory and for your good.